Welcome to Book Lovers Companion. Thank you very much. Episode 24 with Christy Newport. We met, not in person at least, so... Virtually. In case you were wondering, we did participate in Bloody Scotland last year. We watched it uh, online. Uh, yeah, I... Not more. <laughs> ah, did you? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I pitched on there. So I take it that's where you yeah, exactly. heard about me and my book. Ah, brilliant. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, and it seemed like you prepared it very good. <laughs> yeah, I memorized it. <laughs> It was very well prepared and uh, we were wondering if you could do the pitch again for our listeners. Now? Oh, <laughs> you've caught me off guard. I can't, I Sorry. can't remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> Something similar. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what the book is about then, which would probably be just as... Just as good, I hope. Maybe not. Brilliant. Um, well, Whittingham, Whittingham is, ba is um, a psychological thriller set in 1952 with scenes in 1995 as well. It kickstarts with a letter that a journalist receives in 1995 revealing some sort of secret that you don't, you're not really aware of, something that happened in, the asy in Whittingham Asylum back in 1952. And it's something that really upsets her and she rushes out of the building and across the car park and goes home. And you don't really find out what that was about until the, right at the end of the book but then we flip to um, 1952 back when it all happens and it, we go into it with Martha she's a 17 year old girl and she gives birth out of wedlock she's hidden the pregnancy from her parents who were Catholic and very strict and she gives birth at home unexpectedly and she's caught with the baby what happens then is that shortly after that they take the baby away she has no idea where the baby's gone and she's shipped off to Whittingham Asylum because she can't handle having her baby taken and basically she's committed even though she's not Not really insane but that was something that they would do back then she was put in the asylum she thinks things can't get any any worse I'm in an asylum I've been abandoned by my family my little sister's out there with the parents that are quite abusive and I can't do anything to protect her and I have no idea where my baby is but then she stumbles across the body of a patient with his mouth sewn shut and that throws a whole new set of problems into the mix obviously she tries to tell the truth but she's gaslighted because the powers that be at the asylum want to keep Whittingham open they don't want it closing down and it would be a surefire route for the the establishment to be shut now the people at the top of the ladder they have specific, very specific reasons that unfold throughout the book over why it's so important to them personally that Whittingham stays open and that this secret stays buried so they're gaslighting Martha and and trying to convince everyone it's fabrication it didn't really happen she's insane this person just collapsed and died it's nothing like that but Martha's aware of it and obviously and she confides in somebody that she meets in the asylum Lizzie who's um, in her 20s and Lizzie is there because she's gay and she's been committed because of her sexuality and they become very close and they become close with some members of staff they form a kind of sort of group if you will that meets up and tries to solve the murders and it's headed up by Martha and Lizzie and these staff members but slowly but surely they start getting picked off by the killer and it gets closer and closer to home and more worrying as in oh my god this could 
this could be us next time. I never get out and find out what happened to my baby. So it, it, the story goes throughout the asylum and everything that happens. And it's all trying to sort of uncover the identity of the killer. So, so to ensure their survival and to stop anybody else dying. But also you've got the underlying issue of Martha is desperate to know where her child is and to be reunited with her. And it's whether that ever happens. And at the end of the book, we find out what happened what was in that letter that was so disturbing for the journalist and what the what relation the journalist is to the whole situation that unfolds at the end so that's quite a long-winded way of telling you (laughs) what the book is about but it goes through all the emotional side of things as well as the investigation and the the thriller side of it if you will and the murders are quite detailed shall we say so I did a lot of research on postmortems and and things like that, so it's quite accurate. I'm told. <laughs> Sounds very mysterious. Promising. Also, also, you said you you just said you did a lot of research on the postmortems and such. I did. And uh, how many books and research did you read about the asylum system back then? The, with regards to the asylum, um, I've interviewed over 370 people. I come from Preston, which is basically where Whittingham was. Whittingham was the size of a small village it it was the largest mental the the largest mental asylum in the UK of its time the second largest in Europe it was humongous it was built in the 1800s and it was in operation until 1995 and it had its own railway station it had its own shop a boat well the recreation area was actually called a ballroom or theatre as well and it housed everything you can imagine from shows to dances where the locals would go so it it was a very it's a strange set up it had sports courts it had a a man-made pond the whole establishment was actually built in part by the patients themselves some of the patients went there before it opened and started excavating and where they dug the pond that red clay is what made the building the initial buildings and that's why the buildings were sort of had had a red shoe to them so you could see the red buildings is very it also had churches and graveyards and cemeteries it it had a mortuary it's absolutely Absolutely fascinating. So what I did was I joined a lot of historical groups from Preston and I interviewed people because a lot of them had family members or themselves had worked there over the years or they knew patients. I've had ex-patients. I've had the lawyer who represented a nurse that was done for manslaughter. He killed a patient and I've interviewed that lawyer to get a feel for the place. I also interviewed sort of family members that there was a lady that was absolutely, she thought she had nothing to offer, but what she had to offer was golden because as a little girl she went to visit her dad and she could describe to me how it felt when the doors closed the sound it made the feel of the door handle the smells the cigarettes sent cloying in the air and the fact that the patients would all stand up one end chain smoking and the room was smoky because of it and she could describe all of that and it it sort of it transported me to the place so that I could put it down on paper so while my my story's fictional I've very much drawn on the reality and I went to the archives in Preston as well which were the absolute fantastic resource so obviously you read up on the history and you can look at the the escape and capture book which was an they actually have records of every time a a patient escaped 
where they escaped from, where they were caught and when they were brought back. And what happened was when they escaped, that whoever was charged with their care at that time would be charged the cost of them being returned. So it really wasn't in the interests of the nurses to lose track of the patients because they would be charged for it. And a lot of the time it was the police that brought them back, but they would still be charged a fee. So, and there was also, um, I read up about, there was an inquiry. So I went to the reference library and I read up about an inquiry that happened in 1967 whereby there was it was uncovered by some student nurses that there was ongoing abuse of patients both physically and financial abuse the patients were given an allowance but the the amounts that they they received and the amount that was spent in the hospital shop and whatnot did not correspond at all so it was discovered that it was being siphoned and also they were doing these things such as wet towel treatment which was they would wrap a wet towel around a patient's neck and pull tight until they lost consciousness as a punishment now these are fantastic little details that i can utilize in a crime book effectively and also sort of pay homage yeah but i also researched things that happened around the time that my book was set such as there was um, an incident called the freckleton air disaster Mm -hmm. that happened in 1944 and it's it's not very well known actually well and it was the largest disaster outside of London during World War II. Mm-hmm. And it was there was a place in Freckleton that was known as Little America because it was it housed a lot of American soldiers. And what they did was they flew, uh, uh, they were flying a test, there were two test pilots flying, they, a lightning struck and one lost control and went into the school and it killed many, many children, five and six-year-old children. So one of my side characters I have in the book is the mother of one of the children. Now, she's not real. I've invented mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her, but she's there because she's a selective mute ever since her daughter was killed in the Freckleton mm-hmm. air disaster. So I've drawn on elements of history as well and put that into Whittingham. So it's it's quite a big project. Sounds fascinating. It sounds as if there is another book in there, a non-fiction book. <laughs> there, could, there could very well be. I have considered it. Yeah, there is an issue with going through the archives in that a lot of information is not accessible until a hundred years have passed. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they, there is a bit of a discrepancy when you want to get these factual, this factual information out there, which I would love to be able to do because there's so much history, mm-hmm. it's absolutely rich with it, but it's there's there's a threat that it will be lost. Because obviously, who's after those hundred years have passed, who's going to care enough to write about it? And those lives weren't any less meaningful. Yeah, true. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to necessarily have next of kin that will be around in that amount of time mm. that are going to think, you know what, they have a story that's worth telling. Mm. So I've tried to incorporate it into my book. Essentially, I want to write crime I want to write psychological thrillers it's what I'm passionate about but at the same time Whittingham has always held a dear place in my heart because I grew up hearing stories about it and I I was very poorly for many years and I spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals 
and they were a lot of the time I'd be in hospital with people who had some uh, some story to tell that was related to Whittingham and it just seemed to me that it was almost serendipitous that these people had these stories to share with me that I could then draw on and use when I was well enough to start writing again so I thought we're a better place to start I never thought it would be quite such such a humongous undertaking as it has been mm. it's been immense <laughs> and it, it sounds like in and from the start when you began researching and you had the idea how long did how long did it take you to finish the book it sounds like years no not at all <laughs> surprisingly I write very very fast when I get an idea it flows I I saw I, I, it sounds very odd but I almost channel the characters my partner will say my expression my whole demeanor my expression cha everything changes and I start talking the dialogue <laughs> I speak it as if I am that character. She says that when I'm when I'm being Rigby, which is one of the sort of baddies, if you will, in my book, she says I'm sinister and I've frightened her. <laughs> so when the actual write, the research took the time, the actual writing didn't. It's I'm also I'm not a planner. I wish I was. I really, really wish I was. It seems like it would be such a such a more sensible avenue to go down to plan it all and know exactly where I'm going, but I'm not. I'm a pantser and I've learned to embrace it. I've tried the planning thing. It does just doesn't work for me. I have an idea and I go with it. And then afterwards I go back. And when I go back, that's where it takes the time mm -hmm. going back over the work and editing and, and sort of getting in mind reasons that people do things, you know, the, the motive behind everything and the backstory. I wrote character profiles for each character. So even though not necessarily everything ended up in the book, I knew their history. I knew where they were born, where they grew up, who the siblings were. But that doesn't mean it went in the book, but it meant I knew them. So all of that... In, in essence, if it hadn't been for the fact that I got sepsis again while I was writing, it would have probably taken me about six months um, to write the book. Obviously, now, the time afterwards, I won um, mentorship and guidance with Harriet Tice and Nadine Matheson. And of course, with a vase car that was sponsored by Red Dog Press. And because of that, it stretched it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had thought I'd finished then I worked with these people and thought actually no I've not quite finished there's some work I need to do so I've carried on and it's all a learning process it's my first full book that I've written that I've thought actually this this deserves to be published this should be read and so I am putting everything into it and if some and if somebody comes to me and says look I'm an expert and I think this needs doing or that needs doing I am very willing to listen and and bow down to their greater knowledge so it's an ongoing process to me it's complete as it is now but it doesn't mean that if I if and when I get an agent or a publisher and they want to make changes they won't happen yeah. so I'm open to things but at the minute it took about six months give or take Ooh, that's fast that's a very fast process so yes and it was so I presume now that it was not taken up an agent by now not yet I've, I've only I've literally just started submitting it um, it's only just gone out on two agents, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed, and we'll see. But it, it's it's just <laughs> gone out to the first lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful, and I'm working on my second book as well. So yeah, yeah, because we want to read it, you know. Yeah. Because when when we heard you at uh, Bloody Scotland, and I said to her, oh. yeah, she really wants. 
I, I want to read it. Where is it? Come on, g- give me the book. I also want to read. I'm only worried about uh, um, some details that might be very. It sounds not only mysterious but gruesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. It's not so gruesome that it will make you that it will make you turn green. But okay, I have a good it's... friend who's a CSI, Kate Bendelow. She works. Um, she gives expert advice with Graham, Graham Bartlett and various other people. And she's actually read my book. And when she read the post-mortem scene, she said, I was lo-, she said, I always find things when I read books. I always find things that are wrong. She says, and I couldn't find anything. Mm, it's high praise. It, very high praise indeed. But what I did was I went to a local bookshop to, that's quite famous for Around here, Barter's Books, and I bought a book about autopsies from that time mm-hmm. period. And it's a factual book. And I researched and I learned exactly how to do it. And I learned how they could sort of fudge the results a little bit by um, having free flowing fluid around the pericardium and what that would mean. And I learned about anatomy and, and whatnot. I know it sounds pretty dire and it is. But to me, all of that is so, so fascinating. At the minute, I've been reading a book about interview techniques because mm. of the book I'm writing now. Wow. So I'm reading about the psychology of when when police interrogations happen and things like eye movement and body language and changes of voice and changes of using pronouns and what that would mean in the, in the process of a police interview so everything I write I like to know what I'm writing I like to understand it and be in the mind of the character and know that have the knowledge that they would have mm-hmm. when they go to work and do that job or 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 go to a, an asylum I've never been in one an asylum (laughs) but I have been a patient in a hospital and I know a lot and I know what it feels like to have those doors shut and feel like you're trapped and you can't leave even it's it sounds really strange but it's like that feeling of when you paint your nails and suddenly you want to do something because your (laughs) nails are painted and you can't the way if somebody shuts the door on you you want out and I I knew that feeling so because I was in hospital once for two months in one room I tapped into that to write Martha I knew what that would feel like and I think that's why I wanted to write Whittingham because I felt an affinity with the people that were put there that shouldn't have been but that had no option and and their autonomy was gone they had no mm-hmm. they had no power over themselves that it was taken away and that leaves you so so vulnerable that makes a perfect person to commit to put into a thriller because they're desperate yeah. they've got nothing to lose and everything to gain so it's it's a pretty perfect place to start I thought and and it was something I could relate to in a strange way <laughs> yeah I, I can understand it and I, I'm, but I'm also wondering why this certain time period why the 50s why not let's say the Victorian era since you said the, the asylum was built in the 1800s it was and it was in working order and Till the mid nineties, nineteen You said, but why, why, why the fifties? What's so special, or what's uh, different about the fifties? Okay, good question. Um, that's a very good question because I don't have a very good answer for <laughs> it. <laughs> um, really, 
I just wanted to go for a time period where I thought certain things could happen and where things people could get away with things. If that had have happened later on, the police would have been in there like a shot. It would never, have, they would never have been able to do the cover up that they did. But around not long after that was when in 1967, a while later, but not so later, was when all the abuse was uncovered. I didn't want it to tie in with that because I didn't want it to look like I was trying to use people's real experiences directly. I wanted to be sensitive to that. So I brought it forward and I wanted Whittingham to be at its height. It was all built. It was all there. Everything was open. Everything was up and running. And I did things like I researched the time era. My computer is currently sitting on a chronicle of the 20th century (laughs) and another chronicle of the 20th century. And I got books on like toys, decor, everything, even if it didn't go in, just so that I knew exactly, I knew what the kitchens would be made of in the house. So when the mum is in the the kitchen at home and Martha goes downstairs, I describe the Formica units and exactly what it what it looks like what it feels like the colors of it I described the bathroom where she gives birth and what the colors are and I thought it was really fascinating to jump into a different timeline and just exist there amongst it all for a little while historical fiction is not something I tend to read or write but for some reason I was drawn to it and I can't completely explain why that is but I was drawn to it and I went to Beamish. It's a pl- it's a it's a living museum that is absolutely fantastic on the outskirts of uh, Newcastle and it's they've taken buildings and trains everything you can think of farms and they've literally transported it and rebuilt it into a museum so you walk around and it's you go through different timelines so it's got houses as they were at that time it's absolutely fantastic if you're ever in the UK head to Beamish it's brilliant <sighs> Yeah, well, <laughs> there are so many plans one, for us. Yeah, one day there'll be travel again. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully. We really hope so. We have yeah. a lot of people to visit. Yeah, <laughs> I must admit, it's, it's dragging on a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it is. Our calendar is full, I can tell you that. Our diary is full. <laughs> there are so many people, so many places to visit again. So many shops and to visit. Yes, and let's hope we, you will be at one of the crime. Uh, oh, I hope so. I'd love to be. But to what sparked me off with all of this, I've always written since I was a child. But as I say, my health was so, so bad. I couldn't write. I could barely read. And that was like stealing my soul because reading to me is just everything. And I couldn't do any of that for we're talking about 10 years after that I started a new I got re-diagnosed with the correct illness and I started a medication that that began to help and I and my partner had booked for me to go to capital crime in London I don't know if you've heard of it it was the very first event that they were doing and it was for my birthday it was it was yeah about two years ago it was for my birthday and Amy had booked it for me but I'd I got out of hospital with sepsis a week before it and we didn't Uh, think I'd make it, but I did. And I went there and that feeling I I went there and I arrived in a wheelchair because I was so poorly and by the end of it I don't know what happened but it's like it breathed life into me Mm -hmm. and I was walking I mean I wasn't well but I was walking around it and I was queuing and Amy was had sacks of books (laughs) I spent I spent all so much money on books we by the time by the end of the stay we were on pot noodles and then porridge pots (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, it was worth it. And I got a massive t- 
to be read pile out of it and that I've continuously added to ever since that set me off after that I thought you know what I'm finishing that book and I came home and I put my butt in the seat and I wrote till it was done fantastic that's what set me off and I owe a lot to Capital Crime for that and to all the wonderful authors and organizers and everyone that was there they they were amazing and they gave me that that fire back mm-hmm. that I'd been missing mm-hmm. which was incredible because I'd been out of hospital intensive care for a week and there I was feeling alive again and it didn't leave me and I'm so so grateful for that it was incredible seems like you were healed by murder I was what sorry healed by murder <laughs> I was yeah <laughs> who, who would have thought that's possible but yeah, but know. yeah well but listening to her it seems to me she's a very dangerous woman everything she knows oh, oh my uh, yeah. oh my don't get on a bad side <laughs> Yeah, and I live in the middle of nowhere with plenty of farmland, so I could do a lot of experimenting with hiding and disposing of bodies. <laughs> See, oh my God, the yeah. countryside is Hands so dangerous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you go, you go to London, nothing happens. You go to the English countryside, you get murdered. Count on it. <laughs> My sister's convinced that that's going to happen to me. She keeps saying that because we live in the middle of nowhere, she says it's them people that get murdered, you know. <laughs> she she came to stay and we didn't lock up at night and she thought it was absolutely crazy that we didn't lock the house. So nobody's round here. She's like, oh, so my beautiful. God. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. No neighbours at all. Great. Very nice. Great. You don't <laughs> see people. You don't have to be in the public transport. Oh, uh, public transport yeah. gives me shivers. Yes. <laughs> Just oh like that. God. Awful, horrible. Yeah, especially now since uh, not not at the moment here, but uh, before we had to use different masks. Every a lot of people were having the mask down here. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you, people. <laughs> I wanted to ask you also, did you also participate in other uh, events this year? Because you participated yourself in Bloody Scotland, which I always think, so there is a, a plus side to the pandemic. Yes, because you can do more. Exactly. We wouldn't have been able to do Bloody Scotland at all last year if yeah. it weren't for COVID. And so it was a great opportunity for us. Because a lot went online. Yeah. Yeah, that's tr- that's very true. It has, op- it has opened up a lot of doors. For example, I did a co- the course that I was sponsored to do with a vase con by Red Dog Press. He was actually based in Pakistan. So I, I, which was wonderful because the group that I met with that I did the course, with were from all over the world a lot of them in Pakistan and we've remained friends and keep in touch all the time we met, we have a, a whatsapp group and we keep chatting and I do things like I send them information that they wouldn't have access mm-hmm. to that I do so I, I'll forward that on to them and we'll, we'll we keep chatting and um, and exchanging information and just day-to-day things chit chat talk about books and um yeah that's that's a door that certainly wouldn't have been open to me because I couldn't have got on a plane and gone over there but it was fantastic to be part of it and I've met some brilliant people I did go to crime and publishment which was a weekend at, um a crime writing um 
course with tutors such as Kate Bendeloy, CSI, Graham Smith is an author, um, Michael Malone is an author, he was there mm-hmm. as well, Douglas Skelton. Yeah. Michael Malone, we call him Mr. Hotfeet, <laughs> I call him Mr. Hotfeet because he was at Grimefest in Bristol and we were waiting for a panel to start and he was across the aisle and he was taking off his shoes and he said, because my feet are so hot. <laughs> He's a funny guy. I I love Michael Malone. He's great. I was actually working in a group with him and a couple of others on one of the, when we were in Douglas's class doing one of the sort of making a story out of some old newspaper article. And it was really, it was quite funny. And we worked really well together. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was. Oh, Stephen Booth was there as well. He's also an author here. And yeah, I took part in that. That was fantastic. And I've kept in touch with a lot of, well, loads of people from there. And they're all, absolutely wonderful i've also done quite a been been involved in quite a lot of online um festivals and things been able to watch them and whatnot i was watching the granite festival just before this this conversation and there was an ask the experts on facebook where graham kate and emma donnelly were answering questions and that was for free and they're a clinical psychologist police advisor and csi and so that's invaluable and that would have been something that wouldn't have been probably wouldn't have been done before. They do a lot of things that you can pay for as well, but this was sort of a taster and you could get some information from them. And I've done a course with them recently that was really great. So it's, yeah, it's expanding the the people you meet and talk to and being able to join all these different circles of people and, and feed off the interest and the similar interests and hobbies and books and writing and share stories and methods and things like that it's been fantastic so while lockdown has its drawbacks there are pluses in that regard I suppose because yeah you do get to do more than you would otherwise Uh, I don't think this would happen necessarily (laughs) probably probably not who knows But what is it about, since you said you, you love to read and you think that the day without a book isn't really a day spent well, but it, well, I think so too. And what is it about crime fiction in particular that, that drew you to it? I think it's underrated. I think I don't like the snobbery around it where people think, oh, it's not literary fiction. It's not proper. It is. It has all the elements. Not only do you, if you want the romance and things and the personal relationships, you get that, but you also get a really good mystery or crime or something psychological thrown in. And it gives you some thinking material, something to figure out and get your teeth into. And I like that. I like feeling like I'm part of it and not just an observer. And that's what you get with a crime book. You get to be part of the story because your mind is working it out with the characters. And I like that. I don't care what anyone says. It is it is proper reading and I enjoy it. it. And I'm a big, big fan of all crime and psychological thrillers. So I love them. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> totally. And Good. as a as a writer, would you say or would could you name Uh, a particular writer which you would say he or she is your role model as a writer or not at all gosh there's so many well I'm good friends with Diane Chamberlain and she is absolutely immense she doesn't necessarily write crime but she is I idolize her we've become good friends over the years and she's she she kind of mentors me in an unofficial capacity um which has been invaluable but there's also authors that I just 
admire to the ends of the earth as well, like Dorothy Coomson. Um, she's ab- she's a force and she's just fantastic. And her podcast, um, The Happy Author, is fantastic. I listen to that every week. Nadine Matheson has been my mentor recently and she's brilliant and she's just brought out The Jigsaw Man, which everyone has to read. Harriet Tice, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She wrote Blood Orange and The Lies You Told and she's been offering me guidance. She's brilliant. Jenny Blackhurst. Amma Anwar, Lisa Jewell is incredible, CL Taylor. Oh, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I, I just there's so many I'm in awe of these people. When I go to um when I go to a festival, I may as well be at a rock concert. I love it. <laughs> they're my rock gods. I just think they're fantastic. They're all so talented and that they have all these stories in their minds and can put them down in a way that it, that completely compels you to go from page to page to page until you finish that book is just fantastic one of the best books I've just read very recently was Abigail Dean Girl A Um, Mm, it bugged quite a lot and I thought well I want to see what the fuss is about this it sounds good and I got it and I read it very very fast and thoroughly enjoyed it very dark very very good um and everyone should read that as well oh it it should be it's brilliant book really good enjoyed that yeah well Nadine Madison's book is also on our list we are still waiting for that as well yeah it it came out I think last Thursday it came out on the 18th okay so yeah 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 Yeah. because we, we also saw her uh, on an on at an online event. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, she's brilliant. I can't remember the name, but it was interesting. It sounded fantastic. And as far as I can tell, she already has a, there will be a translation into German as well. Yeah, she has another book. I think it's called The Sisters, it might be, something like that. She she does have another book out that she wrote some time ago. I don't think it's crime, but I must check it out. But um, yeah, she's she's a lawyer as well. She's a very bright lady and she gives a, she gives her time to a lot of people for nothing she's she's one of these people her and Harriet both they took the Black Lives Matter movement to their heart and they made they didn't just say we want these changes they're making those changes happen by personally taking it upon themselves to do their bit which I think is just admirable and incredible and I was one of the lucky recipients from both of those brilliant ladies and talents and I feel incredibly humbled by that that they were willing because they they took people from underrepresented areas and 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 said right send me some work if we like it we may help you out and they both did that for me and I will be forever grateful to both of them and Avace Khan and Red Dog Press who also did an underrepresented call out as well which is just fantastic it's what we need more voices from mm-hmm. from diverse groups out there we don't need we need to open doors to people so that when people like me pick up a book we can relate to the characters and relate to the stories and people like anybody else everyone deserves to find themselves in the art world, in literature, in in crime books, in romance books, every across the board, we all need to do. We all need to see ourselves mirrored back. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's been lacking, and it, it's great that that's coming about now. I hope it carries on. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think so. It, I think it will. Shouldn't be an issue anymore. Yeah, as, as something you said. Don't you also write reviews? Don't you have a blog? I do. Yeah. I do, yeah. Uh, Christy Penn's Crime. It's just, 
<laughs> that's what I've called it. I don't, I don't know why I came up with that, but I did. But um, yeah, I put on I put on a few sort of links to stories about myself, and and I've started doing reviews of other people's work as well, which I put on periodically. I'm probably not as organised with it as I should be, but I tr- I try. I, I do try to do it. I'm trying to do my bit and give a little back. You know, if if I enjoy someone's work, I put it out there and let other people know it because I think that's that's a good thing to do to promote fellow authors that I think deserve it. Of if I read someone's work and it's not for me, I just wouldn't write about it. So I would never rubbish someone's work. And there's always a reader for somebody. But if you see something writ- that I've written about someone's work, I genuinely enjoyed it, and that's why it's on there. So yeah, you. I, I don't I don't put any reviews out there of books that I didn't like. So you won't go on there and find me slating anyone's work. You'll always find a, a review about someone's work that I enjoyed and would recommend you read. <laughs> you said you sent out your first novel to agents. And what about self-publishing? Have you thought about that? Have you considered it? I did consider it, but... To be perfectly honest with you, my dad said to me, why don't you just stick it on Amazon? (laughs) (laughs) I said that to Harriet and she says, oh my God, no, not yet. (laughs) So not yet, don't do that. So um, yeah, I I mean, not that anyone's saying there's anything wrong with that. There really isn't at all. It's a brilliant platform and I've read plenty of self-published work, but I, I ideally... If I could choose, I would love an agent to be able to take over that side of things because that's their area, not mine. They know what they're doing and I'd trust an agent to do it better than I'd trust myself. And then obviously I'd like to go down, well, not obviously, but I would like to go down the traditional publishing route, whether that be with a main, uh, with a, one of the big five or with an indie. All I want to do is see my book on a bookshelf and see, I would love nothing more than to walk through a park and see someone engrossed in my book. Just see them there completely lost and know that I'd written that Mm -hmm. and that the emotions crossing their face, I've put there, I've created it. And that's what I want. How it gets into those hands, how it gets onto that bookshelf doesn't really matter to me. It's not about making a million because I know that's not going to happen. It's not about it being the sole focus of my life. It's about it being very, very important to me that I want to see my book in print. So I did consider sort of digital publishing and that works for a lot of people, but I would like to see my book in print. That's that's the um, that's the dream for me. To come back to this asylum mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, have you watched the TV show Ratchet? I did watch it and I <laughs> loved it. It was great. A lot of people said, oh no, you need to watch the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's a, that's rubbish. I've actually never seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But I'll tell you a funny story. I had an editor um, who went through Whittingham before I, before I got as far as I did with it, Ian Skewis, lovely man. And he, he did some editorial work on it. And I actually, I don't know where I picked this up from. I have never seen the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and I've never read the book. And I know that makes me sound terrible, but it's true. And he said, he said <laughs> to me, you can't, he said, you can't call that nurse that name because I'd called her Ragid. 
<laughs> ratchet sorry and he said it's too close to ratchet and i says what do you mean <laughs> seriously he says you must have read one flew over the cookies nest and i said i haven't and i and still to this day i'm not sure whether he believed me or not but i genuinely had it had not intentionally done it because i'd never watched it but yeah i named my character ratchet and she was a nurse in a mental asylum <laughs> so i thought yeah all right i'll change that so she's now called something completely different but yeah it was it was quite funny because i think he thought that i'd ripped off the character he, she he said she even she she's even like that character <laughs> She's not now. The character's had a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure I could call her. The only thing in common she has is that she's a nurse and she has the same first name I gave her. But yeah, I did actually rip off one flew over the cockiness without me knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and sorry, sorry, just one more question uh, regarding this nurse and the fifties. You said one of the one of the other patients your main character met at, at the asylum. She was gay, and that's the reason why she was there. Yeah, and did they also want to lobotomize her as a cure? There, there was. They did do lobotomies. They did um, transorbital lobotomies and things like that. They did, and I researched it, and there is some of that in there. So I, I have touched on that and electric shock therapy treatment is in there too and also actually uh whittingham two doctors in whittingham invented the eeg uh-huh. they used war surplus material and invented the eeg that is still used today obviously more modern versions so there was actually a lot of a, a lot of genuine history that has been put in that has been put in my book and yeah there was some frontal lobotomies the elements of it but there is other treatments there's a version therapy in there as well that's quite cringeworthy because that was used genuinely and I've put that in the book gay aversion therapy where they tried to they they did things like they um they they injected up something called apomorphine that's a vomit inducing drug they showed them sensual images mm. basically and then injected them so that they would the mind would assault seeing these images with being violently ill to try and make them not see the images in that in that regard so that is in the book so it's this traumatic experience for Paul Lizzie, it really is, and for Martha. Yeah, it's, can imagine. There's a lot of harrowing things in there, and there's also the whole who is this killer and how involved is this killer in in what in the lives of the people in the asylum. And the, it's it's a very full on. It's action all the way through. Something's happening. There's always something, and in the midst of it all, obviously, is Martha wants her baby and doesn't know where she is. So. There's also that element, and who is this journalist at the beginning, and what does yeah. she have to do with it all, and and it all ties in and all comes to a head at the end. So I'm hoping that the payoff at the end will. I mean, I've had test readers read it and say things like, "It's like watching a series where you absolutely you learn to really love the characters, and when you finish, you miss them, even though you want to know what happens, you don't want to finish." And I, that was a big compliment for me, and also people hating the character of Rigby was a big compliment to me (laughs) (laughs) I really like that people don't like him because they're not meant to (laughs) 
but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I want to make people feel with my writing. I think that's one of the main things to make people go on a journey and feel something. And if, if somebody finishes Whittingham and tells me that that's happened, then I'm happy. Sorry, Teacup, you were meant yeah, to ask uh, a question. I to ask, um, as part of the book is set in the 1990s. 1995, yeah. Uh, how much research did you do about that time? Because to find out if it really was there or as you remember it or that it's nothing wrong because i i often find that my memory is not as truthful as, as it really was to be perfectly honest with you on that score with regards to 1995 there's only a limited number of scenes in it in 1995 there's right at the beginning and right at the end in between there, there are some scenes in between but it's <sighs> the journalist goes to the asylum and she's walking through the asylum and things are happening but the asylum is no longer there it's it's there but it's a shell mm -hmm. and so I mirror her walking through certain areas with what's happening in 1952 so she, she sort of at one point she's walking in the ballroom and she almost can feel from what's been said in the letter she can almost sense the characters that were really there in 1952 dancing in the ballroom and it's the juxtaposition between it because it's ghostly for her to walk through it when they're not there Mm -hmm. I can see it in my head. Are you yep. are you the same type of, of writer who, who when you write this scene, did you see her in this ballroom? Did you see her there and the people as, as more or less ghosts dancing around yeah, her? Sort of like that scene in the Titanic yeah. at the end. Yeah, it was kind of like that. And I visualized that and I got the emotion of the character that was that was imagining this person and there's a reason why it matters to her why she see what she's imagining and obviously I don't want to give that away but there is reasons for it but there's also things like for 1995 I researched what kind of car she might drive and I also looked at images from 1995 of what the asylum looked like when it was starting to sort of be reclaimed by the earth in certain areas and things like that because the vegetation was beginning to grow into it because some of it had been abandoned before mm -hmm. it officially shut its doors there were certain areas that had been up and running right until 1995 but for the most part they'd started to return patients to live in the community whether they should have or not but that's what they started to do when it all fell apart because of the inquiry and the abuse scandal and everything and they had to start stepping down services certain areas had shut so what I also did was I went up to the site of what's left to get a feel for it mm -hmm. and I walked around the perimeter you couldn't actually get in because it's fenced off which is really strange because they've got cemetery They've got a couple of cemeteries in there that have graves. People whose loved ones are buried there can't go and visit them because it's fenced off. And they're trying to get permission to to get rid of that cemetery, even though the graves haven't been there for long enough to allow that to happen. They've been trying to do it, which is a bit a bit seedy to me. I don't like that. Now, I did consider climbing over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, I took a step up and thought, <laughs> no, I'm going to break my neck. So I just got back down again and didn't. But I did look through and, and saw some of it and it was 
it was ghostly. It was strange. And I kind of got that feel of, oh my God, the lives that were lived in here. It was incredible. Some people would be put in there, for example, like Martha, who gave birth out of wedlock, and they wouldn't leave until they went into an old people's home. So it was one institution to the next, and they never, ever got out. There were there were people, because I've also got, because of when it happened, certain areas of the hospital were closed off during World War One and Two to care for prisoners, not prisoners, sorry, to care for soldiers, injured soldiers and things like that. So I've got one of my patients that's in the hospital that's relevant is an ex-soldier from World War One that's been that's got P- basically he has PTSD, but back then it was known as shell shock. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's in, and that would have been realistic that they would have been in there and probably never got out. They they got trapped, basically trapped in an asylum, even though they had no mental health issues. People with dementia were put in asylums, yeah, because it was seen as a mental health issue. They didn't realize back then it hadn't come about, so people would be put in asylums for having dementia. But I think after some time in there, they would have had. Mental- problems because if you're locked exactly. up all the time in there that is exactly right so then crazy. then yeah it is so then when they started re- to return them to c- the community they weren't they weren't equipped to deal with it so even though they had no choice and they had to put them back in the community because the the asylum was shutting down mm-hmm. they'd never lived independently they weren't equipped for it so it's just absolutely incredible the amount of history there and writing a psychological thriller based there was it was I think it was quite an inspired choice if I do say so myself because (laughs) all the elements were there already it's just that if anything there was too much it was trying to filter it and and make it make it work for the book without being absolutely overwhelming because there was so much I would have loved to have written about and I couldn't put it all in but I tried to pick the bit certain bits out and get as many elements of that in as I could. Isn't that the hardest part for a writer Mm. to make the right choices what to leave and what to cut out? Yeah it is and um Nadine really helped me with that because at one point she said, you know what, the characters have too much freedom. And in reality, they did have that freedom. But what I had to do was use a bit of artistic license and put some security around that kept them there because and, and make sure that the doors were locked. Because at the time, in reality, the patients could nip down the road to the pub. <laughs> it, honestly, they could. They were shoved in the back room to drink because um, there's a bit of a scandal over that. But because <laughs> they didn't like them mixing with the no, with the regular clientele. But they were a lot, not all of them. Some some were genuinely kept in a room and locked up. But some had that freedom. And it was if they didn't go back, then they were found and caught, and the nurses would be charged for their cap- recapture. But they actually had that freedom. But I had to take that freedom away because otherwise, <laughs> I mean, it didn't work, did it? If she could just walk out, she she's not going to come back. So, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was, tr- I think, I was taking it to heart to try and be true to reality so much that it was at the detriment of my story at one point. And then Nadine kind of pulled me back and said, "No, no, no." She <laughs> says, "Make it harder." <laughs> she says she needs more restrictions. She need it. Need you need to feel that restraint that she cannot leave. So I did. I put that in, and it's so much better. At the time, I I cursed her. I thought, oh, <laughs> I've got so much work. 
trying to do now. It's practically a rewrite. And it really wasn't. It felt overwhelming. And I think every time I get a lot of note or or refer or a note that I think that's going to take a lot of work, it takes me a few days of just letting it resonate and just sitting there mulling over it and th- think feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I'm never going to be able to do this. I don't want to do it again. And then I sit back down and I just crack on with it and get it done. But that's the bit that takes the longer to me than actually writing it is the going back over and fixing uh, the mess I've made. <laughs> it seems like when the book is, the first draft is finished, the work starts. That For me, that's right. I, if I was a planner, that probably wouldn't be the case, which is why I wish I was a planner, but I'm not. So for me, yeah, that that is the work starts when you've done the first draft. <laughs> <laughs> at the minute I'm doing the first draft of my second book so I'm loving it because I'm just tap 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 tap, tap <laughs> on the computer getting lost in the characters and and the moments and and I, that's great for me I love that but it's it's then going back and doing the hard work afterwards that I think oh god it reminds me of being back at university <laughs> <laughs> and then the teacher comes and says oh no 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 here yeah you got it wrong there's Go a lot of red pen <laughs> <laughs> and in your second book are there any characters from the first one or, the, or is it a, are they complete standalones uh, the first, Whittingham is a standalone at the moment I think I've tied it up to the the ending is pretty tied up the second book is completely different I've gone down the route of police procedural it, it's a it's a, thr- it's a kind of crime thriller but it, it's got the police in there it's the main character is a detective and then what I've done is I've created um I've taken I've nicked a bit of an idea from Stephen Booth in that he writes in the Peak District and he's created sort of an area of the Peak District that doesn't exist mm-hmm. so that he doesn't encroach on the re- the real places but it's in amongst it and what I've done is I've done that but in Preston where I'm from I live in Northumberland now but I'm from Preston and I've created um, an annex to the police force that's on the edge of the River Ribble and it deals with major violent crimes and I've put a detective in there and a team underneath this detective and the chief inspector the chief inspector isn't the main character because I've always been warned they shouldn't be the main character because you want the person who's on the ground doing the investigative work. So my main character is a detective inspector and the chief inspector's above her and she's a peripheral one. And it's obviously going to be a woman. Well, it is a woman because I, I, I am a woman. I want to write about women and I want to empower women. So I've got her as the as the main one and the chief inspector is also a woman (laughs) but her partner her partner is an Asian man and she's gay at the moment I don't know if I'm keeping it that way but at the moment she is I think um sorry to interrupt you but I think I think Kate Daniels needs another colleague like this yeah (laughs) well we love Mari Hannah (laughs) and Kate Daniels obviously um yeah I think uh, god yeah Chuck in some more characters like me. I want to see them. People with <laughs> she she's she's also she's mixed race like me, and I I want to see more of that. I I want to be part of the movement that brings more diversity to writing and to literature and to crime fiction in specifically. So. Yeah, I I don't want to just say I want that to happen. I want to make it happen. So if I'm going to write a character, I'm going to do that. And that's what I'm trying to do with this one. But I also, I want to have a very diverse team as well. It's like in um, Whittingham, one of the nurses is from... 
Punjabi. One of one of them is from no, two of them are from Jamaica, and because they were brought over to be nurses in in the UK at that time, so it really worked for me. At one point, I had a French nurse, but she got axed, so she's <laughs> not in it. <laughs> but I have the character profile if I ever want to pick up Amelie Dupont again. But um, yeah, what what I'm trying to do is whatever I write, I want to reflect society, and so that's really important to me but the book itself is it's going to have as diverse I want it to have as diverse a character as my second book as you would find in a police force nowadays yeah that's mm -hmm. what would yeah that would have been my next question it's set in the present the second one it is it's in the present but it also relates to a case six years previous what they do is they go out and there's a teenage girl been they find a teen a murdered teenage girl and she's been branded on a shoulder with a skull and crossbones, a, a little brand. But it brings back memories of a case that happened six years previously when a young girl was found at death's door. She survived, but she's she's been in a care facility ever since because she's not got capacity anymore. And she they thought she was dead. They called in the paramedics and the paramedic found that she wasn't dead and she went through all the tests and everything. But she had this skull and crossbones and the case was never solved. And now six years later, without anything seemingly happening in between, there's another girl, slightly older, but not by much, who's dead this time. And she has this emblem seared into a shoulder and it's going to be about bringing the two the the information from the two cases together to try and find the the common denominator so that they can find out who is responsible and why this six-year gap bring it on bring it on i want to read it <laughs> <laughs> well, at the minute, I'm 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 early days, um, but yeah, it's it's there, it's in my head. I tend to I tend to come up with these whole scenarios in my mind, and then I'll go out. They just play out and play out as if it's like a film reel in my head, as if I'm watching it happen. And the for example, I I was in bed the other day, just led there, and the character of the detective's aunt came into my mind and I got up that morning and I wrote a scene about the aunt that isn't even in the book yet but will be because that is the character and she just popped in my head fully formed this crazy hippie type aunt that <laughs> raised her because when she was four years old she her mum was murdered and that's why she became a detective but the murderer was never caught and she was the only witness but she was four so she wasn't a, a, a very good witness and that story I want to be a backstory through it and she was raised by this hippie crazy aunt that's a bit like one of my aunties <laughs> so she came in she came into my head fully formed it always tends to be when I'm trying to fall asleep and then I'll be like you know what if I don't if I don't get up and write this I am not going to sleep so I'll get up in the dead of in the dead of night sometimes and just write because otherwise if I don't get it out my head it just goes round and round yeah or you forget and that's worse Yeah. So yeah. But <laughs> the second book I presume now is planned as a series. It sounds like one. It's going to yeah. I, I want to make it into a series. That's the idea. What I'm hoping to do is build this team that I can follow through mm -hmm. and that I can keep the detective's backstory sort of trickling out throughout um until the reveal of who killed her mum, hopefully later on. <laughs> okay. Um but in my head I know who that is um at the minute. That's not to say it won't change because sometimes things do alter but at the minute I know exactly where it's going. But yeah I, it's it's in my head 
the characters come alive and live there. It's really odd. And like the characters of Whittingham were very much alive to me while I was writing it, but they still are now. It's mm-hmm. just that they've gone off and they're away living their lives while I'm living with these ones now. <laughs> but if I want to bring them back, it doesn't take much because they're just there to me now. That might make me sound like I should have been in the asylum myself. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> But I'm sure your aunts will ask, is it it's me, really? I know it's me. <laughs> it's, it's really not her, but <laughs> she did inspire certain things. For example, my auntie is a belly dancer. Ah. <laughs> She's a bit crackers. She's a mental health nurse as well. And <laughs> she's she's crazy she's 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 a she's she's fun she's a funny person she's very enthusiastic and margie and margie in the, in the book she, there's elements of that with all of my characters i drip feed elements from different people mm-hmm. i'll base a character on one person but there will be aspects of different people in my characters because we we, we all learn by our environment and by the people around us so you just take elements of different people and put them into your character to create a fully formed person that's believable hmm. and so yeah they're like my auntie and margie but not not entirely no <laughs> <laughs> she has different colored hair <laughs> <laughs> so she won't recognize her nope I said no because no, of the hair <laughs> <laughs> if i told my daddy he was rigby i think i might get a mop on the nose <laughs> he isn't <laughs> the first book i ever wrote which was awful but i did write a book and it i call it my practice it was absolutely terrible but there was a woman in the book that was hideous she was this awful, awful drug de- drug user who was just the most horrible person you could meet. And I wrote it before I ever met Amy. But the character, I'd forgotten about this book. And when I got it back out and she read it, she said, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> she said, that character's got my name. <laughs> and, I, and I named this awful person, Amy. And she says, you're not sending that out. She said, people will think that's what you think of me. <laughs> and I was describing her as having these rolls of fat coming out of her claws and hanging and (laughs) oh and she was so crude and hideous she was awful and yeah I had named her Amy and I'd completely forgotten she made me even though I never sent it out because it was terrible she made me go through the entire book and change the name (laughs) I wasn't allowed to save it because it had her name So yeah, the, the you don't completely base it on a person because I, I've heard that's not a good idea. <laughs> there might be backlash. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe the victims. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a victim in someone's book. I keep asking people to do it, and no one will kill me off. They said that. Um, <laughs> I do, the, apparently because my name is Christy it's too much like Agatha Christie to put in a crime book so nobody will use it and I'm practically begging all these authors to just murder me please <laughs> <laughs> decapitate me I don't care <laughs> do it I want to see my name in a book even if it's not the byline I just want to see it <laughs> yeah well why not <laughs> well, I have had one person offer to do it. Anne Blocks, which she's just got a book, uh, a book deal, which is I'm so made up for it. And she said she's going to kill me off. So I'm very pleased with that. Well, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Dying to see how she does it. 
Congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations, Sam. Pick up. More questions for our guests. Is, are there any? I'm sure there are. I'm just being, thinking about killing her off. Ah, okay. So. <laughs> Stuck in that thought. How dare you? We don't, I, w- I would never do it. We, we don't kill our guests. Oh, come on. <laughs> I am begging to be killed off. I actually put a tweet out the, the other day. Please kill me off. <laughs> if we want. I mean it. I'm volunteering. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not a writer, so I can't fulfill that wish. She's more a reader. Well, I'm hope I'm hoping to see myself murdered in lots and lots of books in very creative ways. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, it could be my legacy. <laughs> <laughs> the name most often killed. Sorry, the name most often killed. Yeah, that wouldn't that be something? But nobody will touch me because of the name Christie. I've had it. It's too close to Agatha. Mm-hmm. I'll probably never get published because they'll say no. Well, we don't want someone with that name. So. <laughs> Maybe deep. I'll I'll change my name. <laughs> you have to get another name just to be able to be killed yeah. off. Exactly. Artist's yeah, name, I'll something. Name. But don't worry, <laughs> teacups aren't killed that often either. Only thrown against the wall. Yeah, thrown against the wall. That's that's true. Also, Edith is also not a name that is often killed off in a book. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm happy to have suggestions for people to kill off in my books because <laughs> I struggle with names. For some reason, I tend to give them all the first, the same first letter, which Ian, who edited for me, Ian Skewis, he kept saying to me, oh, well, how come all these names begin with the letter E? It's confusing. And I, <laughs> I thought, oh, I didn't even realise I'd done that. And I'd look through and realise that I'd, I'd basically given every character the same first letter and have to go through the entire book and change the names. And I don't know how I did it, but I, I'd do it again and again and again. So if anybody comes, if anybody has a name, that they want me to kill off feel free message it me very happy to do it <laughs> karin the german the german name not karen but karin just exchange the e for an i okay karen done. please please kill her <laughs> off <laughs> do we like karen or not no we don't we don't okay. no i don't even know her she, she doesn't know her but it's <laughs> it's a bit work related so feel free to kill her off with the most horrible oh, way i've had a few of those <laughs> <laughs> oh you've just given me an idea i've never thought of doing a hit list <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I'll think. Maybe I'll have a think. I was bullied a lot as a kid. <laughs> There's got to be some names. <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. Although I might get sued. Ah, I don't think so. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Just use the first names, and you are good. Yeah, swap them round a little bit. First name of one bully, surname of another bully. Put them, marry them together, and kill them both. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Brutally. <laughs> Just happened. But then I won't care about the victims quite as much, though. Damn. Yeah. There's always a drawback. Yeah. <laughs> it usually is. And you shouldn't make the killer too likable either, isn't it? I mean... No. Sometimes I'm rooting for the killer. Sometimes I like them better than the victims. Yeah. <laughs> you can get a good baddie. Yeah. You can. Yeah. You can get a baddie that you quite like or that you love to hate. I always like a baddie that I love to hate. Yeah. Yeah. It's also in, in the TV shows when you love 
a love-hate relationship with your character. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. The worst things are books where you don't care about any character at all. Yeah, that doesn't make for a very good read. Yeah. You've got to care. You've got to be invested. Otherwise, you just don't get through the first page, do you? Yeah, exactly. No. And at the end, mm. you think, especially with a crime novel, just kill them off. I don't care. Everyone, each of them, get rid of them. Yeah. Well, I'm reading um, Gillian McAllister's How to Disappear at the moment, and that's another one that I'd recommend. It's really, really good. She's got brilliant descriptions throughout it fantastic book really good characters and you're very invested in it as well clever book another another one so many books every time the list grows and grows and grows and when it you does, look there, there is no place anymore behind us you can see it's full they're full the <laughs> when i moved when i moved house our moving men put in a complaint because <laughs> i didn't tell them how many books i had i said but they're in boxes you only said to say about heavy items you know like white goods and things and sofas and things like that this is well you should have told Told us about the books. They <laughs> <laughs> struggled to move all these books, and we actually had to hire an extra moving van. <laughs> and I'm not joking. There was so many, and I refused to get rid of any of them. But I once p paid for an extra baggage allowance on an aeroplane from Kent. I'd got the plane to see my grandparents. Not thinking about it, I went round all the charity shops and just bought out loads and loads of books. I was only a teenager, but I was big on reading, and I bought a lot of books got to the airport at Manston to go fly home it was only in sort of it was in the city it's just opposite end of the country and I had to pay for another luggage allowance because I had all these books and the luggage allowance cost so much more than the books were worth and I also emptied my clothes out <laughs> and told my uncle to take them back to my nana's and I'd collect them next time I visited because I wouldn't leave the books so not only did I pay extra but I left all my clothes behind to take the books but uh, that's me that's why when I couldn't read for all them years that was horrific that was probably the worst part of my illness <laughs> not being able to read and write the way that I wanted so yeah yeah but I can relate a bit of a bookworm yeah I can relate to that because that's our trouble every time we visit or we visited crime fest the last three times not and these times yeah not just crime fest also when we go to London for a short trip We end up with too many books and too oh, yeah. not enough bags. <laughs> Did you go to um, Capital Crime when that was on? No. 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 Oh, what a shame. You'll have to go. It was fantastic. Although Bloody Scotland was going to be my first of actually going to it this time. And obviously it all went online, which was a little disappointing, but still great. But um, yeah, I was meant to be there because it was my, I actually pitched on my birthday. It was oh. my birthday the day I pitched. So, yeah, I had my mum and my sister and my nephew were here in the next room with Amy, waiting with a cake and candles for when I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an interesting day. A really But, um, unforgettable birthday. Yeah. It was, it was. I didn't win, though. <laughs> But it, was, it was really good. And I the winner the was very deserving. Yeah. I did get cake. Actually, I didn't eat any of the cake. I'm allergic. <laughs> I just cut it. <laughs> But did you also go once to Harrogate? Isn't it near you, actually? To where, sorry? Her Harrogate. Harrogate. Ah, oh, well, that's in um, that's in Yorkshire. Um, so it's not round the corner, but it's not too far. I was going to go this year, 
but I think it's being postponed again. I'd booked the hotel and yeah, I was going. I haven't been yet though, but I was going this year and I will go as soon as it's up and running. Obviously, I'm dying to go. I'm dying to go to that one, Capital Crime, <laughs> Bloody Scotland. <laughs> I, I just want to go everywhere, to be honest. I'd, I'd go to the mall if I could afford it. I'd be at every last one of them. I love them. But um, yeah, I've been to some local ones like um, Mari Hannah's in Newcastle I went to and I've been to quite a few book launches in the area in Sarah Storvel's in Hexham, I think it was. And yeah, quite quite a few. So I go to, I've been to what I can and what's online as much as possible because there's, there's an awful lot, isn't there really? So yeah, it's pretty good. Oh. At least we don't have time to get bored. Yep, nope. Nope, that's the plus side of the whole pandemic thing. But it gets hard to choose what yeah. to attend and what not. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So we yeah, are, and things clash. Yeah, exactly. That's why we are absolutely glad you could make it. Oh, thank you very much for asking me. It's been great. Our pleasure. It's been good fun. Yes, it was absolutely wonderful talking to you. So thank you for joining us. And thumbs up for the publishing yes. of your book. We want to read Keep it. Keep us crossed. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So we are waiting. We're waiting to read it. We read the, the first one, the second one and everything after. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that you'll get to read them before long. We'll see. Yes. Such would. <laughs> yeah, like we said, we too. So thank you, Christy, for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you had as much fun as we had and we'll meet again at Book Lovers Companion.